This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your other sometimes host, Matt Scalina. Matt, how are you doing today? Not bad, Corey. We were talking before we went live about whether or not we dated during Tinder with some younger people in the uh, audience. Just for clarity, not me and you dated during no, Tinder. No, no, no. If, that is if, how we if, met, though. If Tinder was, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I swiped left or right, whatever which one it is, and you replied back. Um, and fast forward, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Our um, baby, the Vancouver <laughs> Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We were talking about when you were dating before you were married, was Tinder around? And, and not only in my case was it Tinder not around. You guys used to Plenty send, of fish wasn't around. You used to have to call your wife's home and ask. I literally used to have to, I, that's how long I've been off the market, I on, guess. On, on a rotary dial phone. Yeah. You know what? 663-2909. That was the number. <laughs> <laughs> And I had to talk to her mom for a couple minutes usually before I before I got my uh, my girlfriend on the line. But yeah, that's how old I am, Corey. That we, wasn't that wasn't the situation with you. No, you spring chicken like yourself. Oh yeah, spring chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I was watching the news the other day and they were talking about how the interest rates hadn't risen so fast since 1983, over 40 years ago. And I'm like, wow, that's a long time. That's my birth year. <laughs> I'm like, well, I am getting old. <laughs> Right on. Well, speaking of young sp chickens, sp spring chicken. Spring, speaking of spring chickens, <laughs> spring chicken that has a job that is apparently making them old. Yeah. Byron Chard from Chard Developments on the show. Yeah, lucky to get him back. You know, we had him on over a year ago at that time. Now Chard's got a lot of exciting projects in the works there. I think Byron says they're around one and a half billion dollars, kind of in construction, are getting ready. I don't know how this guy sleeps. I, you know what? Well, this is when I said getting old, I mean, have, getting gray hairs yeah. uh, is is what I meant. But this conversation is is so great on so many different levels, not only which markets are performing and which asset classes, but the challenges facing the development community in Chard, yeah. but also big picture, you know, yeah. they work with a lot of institutional investors the number of things Byron's dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, oh. uh, strategically, but down to the nitty gritty, it's like, uh, I don't know man, how someone unreal. who's got that much going on with that type of stress and that type, type of cost, like I said, sleeps at night. When I got here to record this, I parked in the wrong side and it was $7 an hour. And I was debating about driving around the corner to pay a buck 20 an hour. And that was stressful. I was like, <laughs> I sat there for five minutes you, to contemplate that's, that's that. That's going to keep you up yeah. tonight. Yeah. I, I contemplated what I was going to do there. This guy, this man's got a million, uh, $1.5 billion under construction or ready to go. And I, I, I don't know, but very, very insightful. And we will say with Chard too, I mean, they've done some outstanding projects both over here and on Vancouver Island in the greater Victoria area that continue to kind of trendset, in my opinion, with what they're doing in some of these markets. And he's also, I mean, not only with, well, I mean, he'll get into it, but he he's in the room with EB right now. Like we're talking politics, yeah. 
economics. Uh, Nickelback. Nickelback getting shovels in the ground. I mean, this is, if you ever wondered if uh, being a, developing in the city of Vancouver was interesting, listening to, listen to this conversation. But before we get to Byron, Corey, just one last question. Did you actually pay the $7 or did you yeah, drive? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I sat there and I was contemplating it and I sat there too long and someone took the spot. So I had stuck paying $14 for two hours to be here. But I'll tell we you right now. We appreciate your time. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> it was the best $14 I ever spent to get Byron's insight. Fantastic. Well, now let's cut to our talk with CEO and president of Chard Development, Byron Chard. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, we're here with Byron Chard, president and CEO of Chard Development. How you doing, Byron? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. We should say past guest fan favorite fan for favorite. sure. It's favorite. uh yeah, it's great that you were able to take the time today. Byron, maybe for those who, and and these will be few and far between, that aren't familiar with Chard Development and haven't heard your past episodes, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So Chard Development, we're a family company based in Vancouver. I like to say our slogan or what I've definitely, my business strategy has been is I've diversified through asset class and really focused on certain geographical regions. Given the relationship that's needed at City Hall, We've really focused on City of Vancouver, City of Victoria, and the North Shore. Um, from an asset class diversification, uh, right now we're building just over 2,500 units. About 2,000 of those are rental. And we have just over half a million square feet of commercial, which ranges from a strata office for lease office and hotels. Byron. You know, this wasn't the direction we necessarily thought we were going, but uh, thinking about North Van, City of Vancouver, uh, and Victoria, we just came off some municipal elections, and those are three cities that are difficult to develop in, in, in the best of times, let alone the worst of times. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on how those elections went and, uh, and, and if that's good for the development community. So I, my first comment on that would be, I'm glad they're over. Uh, I always, I always look at the three months to six months leading up to elections. I'll call it silly season. Um, you see, councillors and councils do uh, make potential decisions which they would not in a normalized environment because they're getting ready for that election, or they're in their final seat prior to departing office. So, number one is we now have certainty, we have clarity of who's who we get to work with. Uh, what are their priorities and allows us to start to relook at number one acquisitions to be able to make calculated decisions of where we want to invest. And number two is look at how we actually build and design these buildings to meet the needs of the community. Because at the end of the day, the election is the community speaking of what direction they want to go. 
So it allows us to tailor what we're actually designing and building in and work with those communities. It's a touch point as much for us as it is for counselors. So that's the way I look at the municipal elections is it actually is a gauge on public feedback of what they're seeking in different communities that we build in. So Byron, one thing you touched on there is about half a million square feet of commercial that you guys have in the pipeline right now. And, and some of that is, t- is some of that circles around the office asset class. And there's obviously been a lot of questions over the past couple of years, people coming back. Is there a hybrid model? You out, you're right now, you have some projects both on sale and for lease on the office side. Maybe we'll, we'll touch base on that. West Broadway, you've got a tremendous office building there coming that's for lease that was recently just launched. What is the expectation for that from you as a developer? And what have you seen so far since the launch with regards to, to interest in it, considering you have the new Broadway line coming in right past it? So it's a great question of how we look at office, because I think that's the most important aspect of where the office, office culture has gone. So number one, let's look, ask the question of why do people come into the office? It's not, typically, it's not because your boss has told you to. That never really goes over well. So it's no, there has to be a desire to attract people back and the landlord has to be just as responsible for that as the actual business owner. So I think there's a partnership between the principles of a business and the landlord. And so what I mean by that is how do we program amenity space? How do we program community benefits of partnerships so that uh, we can have local breweries in the lobbies? on certain days to do tastings? How can we be designing a fitness facility that is strong enough that the employee won't have to have a gym membership? Because when we are able to offer those perks, that will assist with their disposable income and affordability for that end employee. And there's more likelihood they're actually going to come into the office then. And I would say the other reason why people come into the office is people. We build buildings because of people. And so we also look at how do we create collaboration? How do we create spaces that have amenities on the rooftop uh, with fantastic outdoor space, barbecues, the technology for presentations that will actually allow that unique collaboration and that interaction, which you might not get on in a typical office building. So I think it's really re-looking of how office space is designed and used. And what is that cost to the business owner? But what, at the end of the day, what is the benefit to get that employee into the office to see that collaboration and um, also promote that, I'll call it work-life balance? Because I think the best way that to attract the millennials in is you don't tell them to come in. They make that decision by themselves and they're going to be happier employees because of it. So how can we as a landlord come to the table to assist? That's a tremendous way to look at it. Just asking a question for Matt here. You mentioned about the uh, beer tastings and the buildings. Do you do you have do you know what days and what addresses say, those are available? Is the schedule up yet? <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Just chart post that schedule on your website. Let me let me know when you like to sign the lease for the uh, office. <laughs> I can't afford to pay your rent, unfortunately. So. <laughs> Or oh, sorry, Brian. I was just going to ask: Is this, and you know, I'm thinking of this more from the the layman's kind of perspective. Traditionally, in my mind, office is kind of you build office space with square footage, and somebody leases it, and their employees show up because they are paid to be there from nine to five. Is this shift 
Like, are you, have you fundamentally kind of reconceptualized the way you're thinking of office over the last decade or since COVID because of, of this changing work landscape? I would say yes and no. Yes, because it's about how do we create spaces that I would say, um, I guess my first step back is like working in Mount Pleasant is very different than working in downtown for office space. Um, you have to fit in your neighborhood context um, and people move or work in Mount Pleasant for, I think, a very unique reason. We built quite a, this is our sixth building in Mount Pleasant. So I'd say we know the neighborhood fairly well from residential office. It's a such an awesome spot of town. And there's a reason why, though, employees want to be there, which is drawing companies to be there because uh, they're actually able to better retain talent. With I say no, because at the end of the day, as a landlord, we are still designing space to have flexibility for the tenant to come in and design their space. So we need to be ensuring that the HVAC systems, the electrical offering, the ceiling heights, the fresh air intake, all of those components are as flexible as can be. Um, I would say where it's also changing, though, is the environmental standards are getting more and more important for tenants. And so as a landlord, it's ensuring that we are building all of our new buildings to be certified uh, from LEED to technology scores to um, different types of certifications to assist them get financing. Because we're finding banks are requiring it more for tenants as well as for us as landlords. Um, and then also institutions are requiring it for if and when they want to be owning these buildings into the future. So, Byron, you've got a project for sale, which is a tremendous, I think I have this right, it's a trimix, which includes some light industrial, some retail, but primarily office space there on South Marine Drive in a beautiful building there. You guys have recently launched that for sale. What is the what is the feedback been from the public and what is sort of the sell through been since that got launched, considering the current environment that we're operating in right now where we are dealing with inflation issues? Uh, it seems like sky high interest rates that still haven't sort of plateaued just yet. What are you guys seeing with regards to as a developer on the selling side of a project like that? So the project's called Forum. Yeah, it's located at 750 Southwest Marine, so about two blocks away from the Canada Line station. As you mentioned, it's it's a vertical building with retail, light industrial, as well as office space, uh, eight stories. And we also have a lot of amenity space in it. We launched this at the beginning of October. Um, this was our third strata project that we've done. We've done two in Mount Pleasant, which were both very successful. And this is our, uh, we took that model and have brought it over to the Marpool neighborhood um, under, I say, a similar formula. And we've had fantastic take up to start. It's been our presentation center, which is located a block away from the site, um, is seeing really strong traffic, um, multiple tours a day. Um, the broker community is really involved, but I would say it's also the end users. One aspect with commercial versus residential is patience, is your virtue, because this is a business decision. It needs to make sure it aligns. So I would say overall, we are patient on our sales. We've, we've had a strong pickup to start. We've had multiple transactions, but it's, there's, and there's a lot in the works. I would say my, I just have patience on these transactions because as a business owner myself, um, 
I recognize the decision that these groups are going through. And we have curated our own commercial relationship manager in office to assist with TIs, understanding the building process, understanding what it means to own your space. So we've really pivoted our model internally to increase our customer service from the experience of our last two projects so that a law firm, a technology office, a a dentist, we can walk them through a step-by-step process of how to work with the city of Vancouver, how to work with subtrades, and really help understand what it means to own your space, how to build it, um, and bring that vision to life. So we've really brought out, I would say, a new standard of customer service for commercial. And that's really strategic from our side of some of the barriers of entry that we've seen. And it's because of the uncertainty of uh, the process that we've really demissed that. And that's really worked well for us here as we've launched the project. That's a, a tremendous way to approach it because one of the things that we always get pushed back on when people are looking to buy into space, especially in the pre-sale aspect, is the they roll their eyes with the thought of they have to build this out and deal with the city and you know just they're not they're professions in their own fields, but now all of a sudden they've got to be a construction expert and they don't want to be a construction expert. So, so that's a that's a really unique and uh, you know unique take on it. I think you'll have a lot of success just based on the pushback that we see, being able to handhold those individuals through it. I think you'll have a huge success with that. No, I, I appreciate that. It's definitely an investment from our side, but I truly believe any purchaser of charts um, on the residential office, any tenant, we're not just a transaction relationship. We're now partners. Your success is our success. And so we need to be making sure that we invest and take those steps to continue to see that value increase for our buyers. And that's the key. Uh, we want to make sure that we are helping protect that investment they're making into these buildings. And that's how we can also give it back to them. Now, before we kind of go down the purpose-built rental side, which you guys have a tremendous amount of doors under construction or probably set to start construction on, you also have a lot of projects that have gone on over in the Victoria market. And between the two, have you seen any slowdown in one market versus the other, say versus the greater Vancouver versus Victoria? Has one outperformed the other during the past you know, challenging times we're experiencing? I would say we've seen similar trends in both cities. I would say it's a really dynamic market. That's my best way to describe it. Interest rates and the continued pressure from the Bank of Canada to do anything in the power to ease inflation is obviously having impact on all sectors. But let's also look at the positives. We've just had an announcement of half a million people will be moving into Canada on an annual basis from the immigration program, which uh, number one is that they need a place to live. They need to also have a job. Um, And so seeing that pressure from an unemployment, and that's also why we saw uh, last Friday, it came out that 100,000 new jobs were added over the last quarter. Unemployment rate in Canada is holding steady at 5.2%. So we, we see lots of dynamics from that standpoint. The difference between Vancouver and Victoria is Vancouver sees a significant um, amount of international migration, while Victoria sees a lot of interprovincial migration. Um, And so if we look at those two markets, what we see is typically, let me get my numbers. So in Vancouver, for example, we've seen in 2021 an international migration of 20,000 people in Victoria, 
it's only been 161 people. However, if we look at the net domestic immigration, Victoria seen close to 7,000 people, while Vancouver is only at 520. So we see a very different immigration trend of who moves to those different cities, and we make sure we tailor our products for those two different users and who's actually moving into those cities. So those are things that we look at closely. The other one that we look at is who is entering the labor market. Because at the end of the day, the labor, we are seeing, in my opinion, inflation because we're, um, to a certain extent, because we have such a tight labor market. Mm-hmm. And so by seeing an easing in the labor market, which we will, I think, see through immigration, we're going to see it through programs like the universal child care support so we can get more moms back into the workforce. Those are the programs that we're going to see the increase of employment, uh, individuals which will help also ease because as a business owner, I see it as well. Uh, we talent is hard to find. Uh, we live in a really fantastic place. And part of the equation is critical. I was listening to a Benjamin Tal uh, CIBC economist talk last week, and I had a conversation with him after. And I, what I thought was really interesting is what we're seeing from a lot of the millennials who used to maybe come out of school with a university graduation, they were still working in the service industry prior to COVID. They are now able to secure a job anywhere in the world and work remotely. So they are the most tech savvy and they are very much comfortable working in that remote environment. And that's where we've seen a significant change in the service industry uh, and some of these other Jobs that used to be filled by that 22 to 28-year-old as they're establishing the careers, they're now able to secure a job anywhere in the world and work remotely. And it's a really, I don't think that's been flushed out of the system yet of what that dynamic brings to our housing market, to our office market, because those individuals are the ones moving to Victoria, uh, for example. Those are the ones who are moving to Squamish. But we're also seeing them once they hit 28 to 35, want to find a job here in a firm where they can actually have human connection. So that's where we're starting to see an increase in employment and opportunities is uh, typically between 30 and 40. We're seeing a lot more individual, a lot more resumes in that age demographic because they want a local job. And we're seeing their resumes come in um, having a lot more international experience. So it, it's really interesting looking, uh, talking to recruiters, what they're seeing out there. Uh, so I'm rambling now, but it's uh, it's really interesting just seeing the changes in employment and how that impacts Vancouver and Victoria very differently. You know, we've been I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday about about this kind of the future of cities. You know, somebody on our podcast a long time ago said, you know, the, the most expensive housing you'll ever buy is in Flin Flon, Manitoba. Because the opportunity cost. <laughs> uh, where, where is this? <laughs> Northern Manitoba. Because, the, but the idea was right. Um, no, I was opp- referring to Manitoba. Where is this? <laughs> but but it, it seemed like a um, you know a truism that it, talent migrates to cities either for school or immediately after school because that's where all the opportunity is. And this shift you're talking about is kind of an interesting one. What we haven't talked about though is is that. It sounds like you hit a certain age, at least at this point, and you and so people are migrating back to the cities in their 30s since this kind of onset of pushing out to, 
you know, the Squamishes, the the Vernons, wherever wherever people are are ending up and working remotely. Absolutely. And we're seeing that stat in our rental buildings as well, because a lot of those people who've moved back into the city are typically renting. And so it's that the rental market is getting squeezed from so many different dynamics right now. And we need the provincial government and the federal government to come to the table to recognize the squeeze that we're seeing, because only right now, every single policy that's getting into place is just putting more and more people into the rental market. Interest rates, immigration, employment numbers, people, as you just said, driving back into the city. We're seeing it from the pressure to not have your vehicle. Um, and so that means they need to live closer to the city or closer to transit. Everything is pushing everyone into rental. And I would say we, we need the support from governments to come in to assist, drive more rental projects. It could be more important for our economy right now. So, and in terms of, so two thoughts on that or two questions, I guess, in, in different directions, but one over the last, my understanding is rental projects actually are harder to pencil right now than, than they were obviously with, with, especially with interest rates, I guess, but a variety of different factors. I'd be curious to hear your take on that. And then of course, David Eby launched a housing proposal about a month maybe six weeks ago before he was, uh, when he was still in the, the dog fight there uh, for the, the leadership in the NDP party. But I'm curious to hear your take on that and, and how we can kind of get through this, this moment where there seems to be a bottleneck. There, there definitely is a bottleneck. So the first question of how to pencil out and make a performer work on rental, it is really challenging. Because at the end of the day, the value of rental buildings have not moved, in my opinion. We have seen rents increase, but that is being offset with cap rate increases or cap rate pressure. While there still hasn't been significant trades to completely underwrite cap rate pressure yet, there is a correlation which appraisers use uh, to interest rate increases. And so, in my opinion, we're seeing a flat line on rental values on a per door or on a per square foot basis. However, we're seeing increased costs. If that is through increased construction costs over the last two years, increased interest rates, increased city fees, increased CACs, everything is pushing up on costs. And there's been no relaxation on DCLs, for example, development cost levies in most jurisdictions on rental. Most of them have said too many people are buying it, so why give it? Uh, or too many people are building it, excuse me. So where we are seeing that pressure and why that is so challenging for rental developers is the debt equation for rental is actually just gotten worse because income has the end net operating income or value of the building, which your debt is serviced on, has remained consistent because we get capped on our typically the lesser of your debt service coverage, your loan to value or your loan to cost. So we start to get capped of how much debt we can take, which means as costs go up, the only thing that will change here for us is more equity is required. And that is going to cause a lot of pain of how are these, how are different developers able to find that equity? Uh, we are very privileged that Char, we work with institutions, and that's where we get our capital uh, to build these large-scale rental buildings. 
I think that is going to be the most challenging part is going to be the cost pressure and the equity required to build. That has changed. And as we all know, when more equity is required, that a return is needed. We work with, again, I work with pensions. I can't think I, I can go to the police officers or the teachers and tell them they're going to make a negative return on their pension because they're doing a, a goodwill service here for the community um, and they get a negative pension because of it. That, that isn't how these pension funds are set up. Um, so that is where we have a fiduciary duty um, to make sure we're giving returns to those hardworking individuals. With regards to the policies that are getting proposed, I think the landlord needs to have a bigger say at the table. There are absolutely tenants that need help. There's no question about that, and people are squeezed. However, there needs to be a collaborative approach with landlords and tenants at the government level, and there needs to, instead of just a hammer coming down of capping your allowable rent increase at 2%, for example, that needs to be balanced with who actually needs the help. And that's what the government is here for. And the, and the landlords, trust me, there are so many good landlords out there who want to help those in need. But landlords also need help to make sure that we can maintain our buildings and be delivering the homes and turning a, a positive housing experience for the tenant. So I, I think it goes hand in hand. Um, I'm really optimistic with EB. I think while he will be premier, I think he'll also be the housing minister. I think this is going to be a file that he plays really close attention to. It's going to be the hottest topic at the next election. Um, and he knows that trying to improve the affordability, get more housing built, have BC housing at the table more working in a collaborative approach, that's how we're going to get this done. I think as a private developer, in my opinion, we have a very strong social conscience here at Chard. We have got over a couple hundred affordable rentals, condos. I partner with the YWCA. I partner with BC Housing. We can come to the table to be collaborative, um, and that's the way we're going to solve this. And that's what we need, better understanding from the public. Developers are part of the solution. Um, but I always like to joke, the scariest thing a kid could be for Halloween is a developer in Vancouver. Um, so <laughs> with uh, an empty bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You knock on a door and say land assembly, and uh, yeah, you get no, there's no no candy game given out. But <laughs> it's funny you say that when I was at Halloween Spirit this year, I had in one hand I had the uh, the Spider Man costume, and I was like, do I go with this one? On the other hand, I had the Byron Chard costume. And I'm like, which one do I go with? <laughs> which one's scarier? <laughs> which one? Which one? Which one's scarier today? Just because of the... so. Spe- speaking of that, obviously, there's been a lot of challenges put forward over the past couple of years, and a lot of it's come to. A lot more in the recent months, both on everything from supply chain issues to interest rates to inflation. What have you guys experienced at Chart, and, and you know where have you guys pivoted to try to? Obviously, you guys have a immense amount. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think at one point you told me you have 1.5 billion dollars under con- under construction right now throughout the province. If I'm correct, or close to that. Yeah, we we have we have a lot of const- uh, a project active or about to be active. Um, so my opinion, we have pivoted from just-in-time inventory and delivery for construction goods to a lot more longer of a lead time. And so I think the whole global supply chain is pivoting away from a just-in-time model. And that's where we're really focused. Development is a game. It's not a game, but I'll refer to it as that. 
of different players and bringing stakeholders together. And lenders are a major part of the solution and the equation of development. We work with them, for example, in pre-purchasing facilities to be able to place deposits, also pre-buy some of our materials so we can have toilets on hand, fixturing so that the construction schedule can be maintained. Number two is we we have brought procurement in-house here at Charge so we can track our supply chain better, understand where we could have challenges, making sure that we're sourcing materials typically from North America uh, to mitigate overseas. Uh, even though we are seeing the cost of containers come down drastically, uh, we are trying to procure as much as we can from North America or Canada uh, to be number one is who we are as a company um, and supporting local, but it's also it's supply chain challenges and mitigating those equations. And I would say the other one that we're really working on, I would say this is a, as an accountant, my favorite side is trying to look at financial solutions. How could we be looking at commodities or putting hedges on commodities? And so, for example, there, the features of steel are down right now, but we haven't seen that in the marketplace. So how can we be looking at mitigating some of our risk through financial instruments that is seeing a projection of a decrease in the future, but we're actually not seeing that yet on site. Um, so it's really, how can we get creative? How can our lenders help us get creative? How can our GCs look at the supply chain as well, help us track it? And how can we, at the end of the day, really focus on that delivery timeline schedule? Because interest rates and any delays really hurt a project. And there couldn't be anything, in my opinion, more detrimental than delays if it's from City Hall occupancy, if it's from delays at City Hall at getting permits issued that really hinder affordability. Byron, it's just listening to that, it seems like it's such an incredibly interesting time to be sitting in your chair and challenging. Are, are you looking back? Is there another moment that Chard is, and I know it was your, your father before you, is there another moment that is instructive for this current economic and political moment that you're looking to? Or is this just, we're in, we're in new times. I mean, everything, I feel like every challenge you've outlined that you just outlined, but also with, you know, how you're dealing with new office space is all a product of the last, of COVID essentially in, in, in a lot of ways. Is this just, you know, dealing with a new world or are you looking at, at a different moment in history? So first off, yes, definitely the gray hair and the wrinkles, they are definitely coming. But I, so first off, my father, when we did our transition four years ago, um, I'd say we very proactively set up an advisory body for me. So I've got the wisdom and expertise of some very close individuals to help me brainstorm, bounce ideas off of and help navigate this. So I think when COVID, I took over the company in 2019, I always like to tease my father of thanks for handing it over just before COVID. You've given me a COVID and now a potential recession. Really, really. It's I was going to say a nice exit um, strategy. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Dad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I really appreciate that one. Um, but COVID, I remember sitting there at the, at the beginning of March and basically getting the advice. No one's done this before. There's no playbook. Go. COVID really was a growth facilitator for Chard. We strengthened our relationships with our lenders, with our financial pension funds, with our purchasers. We focused of who we are as a company 
um, the integrity of the relationships, we pay our bills on time, just core principles. And we saw benefits and through new projects, through selling out our projects as we launched them. So relationships with the broker community, we really saw that take off for us. And I would say it was just by communicating. We, my philosophy that day, I remember coming into the office every day in March and April 2020, I called a lender and a partner every day. And it was just down the list. Once I got down my list, start again. And so basically I was talking to someone every day about what we're doing and keeping them informed. Now that we hit, I'll say, an economic and inflation-induced recession or potential recession, yes, I would say that this has been seen in the past where I can start to utilize the resources, the expertise of uh, my father, advisory members, our financial partners who've seen it before too, and really work with them to be best positioning us proactively, proactively positioning our debt, looking at new acquisitions, uh, but also just, I think the other one for us, I don't squeeze the orange as hard as I could on our performance. What we risk mitigate I am still young. Um, while my gray hair and wrinkles coming won't show it. Um, I do like to say, though, that we mitigate through just the product we build. We build a lot of rental. Uh, we partner with a lot of not-for-profits. And the condos we build, uh, we have built, uh, financed them at a level where I don't need secondary financing. Um, and so that we are doing that at the end of the day to protect the buyers and the purchasers. Because we're going to deliver, we always have, and we always will. And so that's where we mitigate from right when we buy the land to ensure that purchase that purchasers making is one that they're going to be happy with, and we've added a lot of value to them. So it's the fundamentals of who we are. That's what I'd say I've reinforced here this fall, and I'd say it's been reinforced into me and my own mental uh, capacity here of just. Okay, who are we as we go into this and how do we come out stronger? Um, and it's really is the core fundamentals my father started with um, and that I've just continued and reinforced now. So Byron, you guys have, have traditionally you know, developed in the greater Victoria and the greater Vancouver area. Is there any other markets outside of those two areas that you guys maybe are looking now that you know, COVID has pushed livability out there? People are, like you mentioned earlier, people can work literally remotely anywhere in the world now. Is there any other markets that you guys currently aren't in right now that you've either, you know, now are looking at or potentially looking at? We are always watching the market of where we want to go. But my opinion, I think the fringe of the city of Vancouver, city of Victoria is only, that's where we are investing. Um, we think people want to not be right downtown, but right on the outside where they are, can create that 15-minute city, where they can walk to work, walk to the grocery store, uh, walk to get a coffee, but still have serenity and a relief and have that green space. Um, I'm a true believer in 15-minute cities and how we design them to create that community. So that's where we're focused. We're going to have a, a condo project launched in East Vancouver, near Kingsway and Earls in the spring of next year. Um, and it's the same model of that where we've had great success for our purchasers in the past. Um, and I'm a big fan of East Vancouver. Uh, isn't it one of the markets to watch here in 2023? So I, I think it's it's definitely a place to invest. You, you know, Byron, maybe as a final question, this is, I should ask this earlier, but I've just been 
thinking about, you know, the, the general shifts, it feels like there's so many kind of, uh, tectonic shifts happening right now where, where people are thinking about, you know, the next 10 years differently than, than we've been operating for the last 10 in your mind in the next 10 years, is it in terms of strata development, um, are we going to see a lot more rental developed just generally? Like are, are, are the launches this sort of, you know, the investment market that as a residential realtor I've operated in, in so long in terms of for pre-construction, uh, are those projects going to be fewer and further between? And is there going to be a lot more rental over the next, say, five to 10 years? I wish I had a crystal ball where I could give you so much certainty. I wish I had that too. But I so my my prediction, I think we're going to see rental development uh, slow down. Mm-hmm. I do know that CMHC, when they do come out with a housing start numbers in a few months, they are going to show an increase. Uh, I think it's going to be around a 42, 43% increase. But let's not forget, CMHC doesn't count a housing start until your footings are poured. So it means all these start projects actually started in 2021. Right. And so I think we're going to see re- the following year really low housing starts for rental. And I unfortunately think that's going to continue, even though it's, a, it's an area that I think we need more of. It is becoming too challenging and too much equity. And the opportunity cost of that capital in a different city for rental is far superior for any rental project than less than 200 units or so. I don't think would it's going to be a lot more challenging and we may not see them proceed, which is going to be, we won't see a change in that until those numbers come out and the governments realize that, unfortunately. With regards to condo, I do think we're going to start to see some increased activity in pre-sales next year, both in the spring market as well as the fall market, and a significant amount come to market in 2024. And I think what's also going to drive this is the investor is going to start to see rental rates starting to support the value. Um, we are going to see uh, that investor come back uh, just due to that balance of in that secondary rental market where it starts to make sense again. Um, and that's where we've seen it go a little bit more quiet. I think we're going to see that come back. So there will be, so I guess in, in terms of, and I wasn't as clear as maybe I could have been, that, that's super useful though. The number of strata built the mom and pop investor that likes buying pre-sale they don't have to fear a year or two out from now there's gonna there'll be more product to to to, to be buying sorry sorry to give a ramble and not answer your question directly but yes i i do think we're going to see a steady stream of pre-sales come to market here um i think the key question for your investor is who is the developer mm-hmm. who is sponsoring this who is behind it and how do you make, how are you comfortable investing in the pre-sale and know that's going to be delivered? And I think the developer reputation is going to be the utmost importance now going, coming out of this market. Um, and that's one area that we are making sure that we focus on and put our shovel into the ground as fast as we can to give that purchaser that comfort. I think that is a key criteria for any pre-sale buyer. So Byron, we've come to that part in the show. This is your favorite part. I know we have our six lighthearted questions that we ask all of our guests so we get to know you a little bit better. And normally we'd give the guests the opportunity to say yes or no, but unfortunately we're just not going to give you that opportunity today. <laughs> Do you have a few more minutes for us? This is the most stressful part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah well, I, 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 
The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. I, I will say this, okay? So Byron, I've got to know over the years, is a very dynamic, thoughtful thinker. Well, yeah, it's clear. He is the first guest that has texted me before the recording to say, hey, can you tell me what those questions are? And I'm like, I can't tell you that. <laughs> He's doing his homework. He's researching before he gets there. So so I, I jokingly told him the, the answer to everything is just nickel back, right? So we're, we're okay. This yeah. is why he's a friend of the show. All right, we'll, yeah, we'll give I, you an easy one to start with. An easy one. Okay. Favorite restaurant or bar? And this can be in any city around the world, wherever you travel, local, Victoria, you name it. Sure. So um, I think right now, I've, I'm, I'm a young kid at heart, so I love Greta. I think Greta, they've done a fantastic job in Gastown there on bringing games into that bar-type atmosphere. The other one I think is fantastic is Copper Penny on the North Shore. Uh, their, their distillery there, if you've not been, it's fantastic. Uh, they've done such a great job in Lower Lawnsdale, and that's a great new amenity. And I'm also a big gin fan, so that, oh. there's, there's my pick. There, there nice. You go. Those are actually two really good ones. Two good ones. Two good ones. You're on death row, Byron. What's your last meal? I'm going to say fried chicken. All oh. right. Have you tried this fried chicken and donut shop in Lower Lonsdale? We actually had Cream so- pony. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every, I mean, it's been recommended more than once and yeah, I almost he, ended up there last week, but yeah, I didn't, but it's such a, what a interesting. He goes, he goes for the gin and then after enough <laughs> gin, he walks over yeah. for the donuts and the fried and chicken. The fried chicken. <laughs> so, so I do have a sweet tooth and one, one thing that we've done in our office before is we've done a donut tasting. So we brought in donuts from so many different great bakeries here in Vancouver, and we've done donut tasting in our office um, as just a fun little like uh, Tuesday or Friday activity. Did you have um, to? Did you guys was, elect the the top donut? We did, um, but this was a few years ago. So I think maybe I'll have to do it again, and next time on the show, I'll let you know okay. <laughs> yeah, what so, our office has concluded. <laughs> so it's fair to say Tim Hortons isn't the past winner. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Byron, what are you binge watching on Netflix or Amazon? So I just finished watching The Watcher. Oh, yeah, that's, um, uh, I've been thinking about that one. So that, 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 was, that was a good show. All right, Matt, Byron. Matt looked puzzled there. Matt yeah, was like, I, don't know, like, I don't know The Watcher, but I'll... I'll, yeah. I'll it's, it's now yeah. on the list. Yeah, it's going to be after your VeggieTales <laughs> episodes when you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Byron, uh, it's, it's late. You've had a couple of drinks. The bar's shutting down. You're going up to do karaoke. What song are you doing? Oh, first off, you never want to hear me sing karaoke. <laughs> um, I definitely don't have a singing voice. Oh, this is a tough one. I'd say Mr. Brightside by The Killers. Oh, oh yeah. That, that's a good one. Yeah, that, We'll give you that one. That's Actually, a- that's a solid, probably yeah. a e- decently easy one to sing. And uh, you bring down the house. So I'm thinking, honestly, Byron, you're moving up on my list of people I want to hang out with because <laughs> you have beer tastings in your building. You have donut tastings at your office. Your favorite spot is getting drunk on gin and going for fried chicken. And then you want to get drunk and see Mr. Brightside. Yeah. 
when, when you're when you're not trying to use financial instruments yeah. to hedge. When, when I'm not worried about paying for 1.5 billion worth of construction, I'm head drinking gin, playing <laughs> drinking gin, playing playing cards at the Did local you blame bar. Me? Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't know how you sleep. To be honest with you, so I don't. I don't. I blame yeah. you on that. Uh, what's a book all of our listeners need to read, or or Audible or Audible? So, good question. Books that I've read. So recently, I've I've read a lot of different management books, uh, just as we've grown our company and how we work with our team. So I'm going to say good to great. Oh, that is the Bible of business. Yeah, that's, the best that's one. been a couple. That's been on Jim uh, Collins recommended a couple times. Yeah. yeah, Jim Collins. That's the first yeah. business book I ever read, and I tell all of our team: if you're going to read one book, you got to read Good to Great. No, it's a it's a great it's a, yeah great great book and one that I would highly recommend. Yeah, good good choice. If, if you if you if you have I ask you for your favorite band and you say Nickelback now, not only do we read the same now, but now we're gonna go drinking for gin, <laughs> donuts, fried chicken, listening to the same music, and now we can uh, we can converse talking about Jim Collins and the hedgehogs hedgehog theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, Corey, you, you you have an impressive business story too, and the growth of being named as. Uh, I forget which position in the Golden Mail. So you you definitely you've you've done a good job reading those books. We appreciate that. Good team effort. Yeah. Team so effort. so as a last uh, as a last question for you, Byron, and we really appreciate your time. Obviously, uh, so thanks again. What is currently playing on Spotify? Or your I, Corey has iPod here. Yeah, I feel I'm, like he's showing his age. Yeah, I'm just like like I almost put down like what is what are you playing on your iPod? What, 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 what do you got? What cassette is? Uh, yeah. is What's in your CD-ROM? <laughs> what, uh, what 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 are you, what are you listening, listening to? to on Spotify or Apple right now? What's in Byron's playlist? Likely, I can say it's not Christmas music yet, as much as uh, <laughs> I know some people in my office are listening to Christmas music already. Ugh. What is what do I listen? I say on my ride home, I had some or ride into the office this morning. I had some uh, John Mayer playing. Um, so I would say, otherwise, this is a little bit more about me. But I, I really like dance music. For it just it gets you going in the morning. I find so. But otherwise, I don't always have the best taste in music. So I don't want to be judged too hard. <laughs> I listen to Nickelback. So come fifth. on, like it's not gonna, it's not gonna go. No one's gonna judge you around here. <laughs> Right on. Well, well, Byron, how can people find out more about uh, what you're doing over at Chard Development? Uh, so you can visit our website at chardevelopment.com. Um, LinkedIn, we're fairly active on there. Myself, Byron Chard, or just our Chard Development page. And, and happy to, if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn or so, uh, happy to connect. Yeah. And, and thanks again, Byron. It's always so great to, to get your insights on the market. And uh, we're, uh, we really appreciate you to, that you keep on coming back. Well, thank you for your time and good luck is in this market. And I, I think it's, we live in a fantastic spot. Uh, we're lucky to live here and people are going to want to continue to move to Vancouver, continue to work in Vancouver. And so I couldn't be more excited about what we're doing and the people we get to work with. It's, we, we couldn't live in a better spot in the world. Fantastic. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Byron. There you have it, folks. Our interview today with Byron Chard, CEO, Chard Development. Love the guy. Like, just great insight. Yeah, you know what? It's always great having Byron on the show. And, you know, what's striking to me after that conversation is that he keeps coming back because clearly 
there's a lot of irons in the fire there. Yeah. Well, I think it was one thing too that he touches on, you mean the amount of rental stock and the amount of doors that they're building and they got, you know, you mean almost every asset, they literally do have every asset class and that one project coming up there on, uh, on Marine Drive he talks about, but they've got, you know, you know, 50, 500,000 square feet under construction in, in all the major asset classes and commercial. One of the, one of the great takeaways was they've got, they've got their, they literally are developing everything, every asset <laughs> yeah. class from purpose-built rental to light industrial, to retail, to office. I think he's even in hotels. Oh yeah. And then he's got one, a project, a hotel project on Vancouver Island. If I don't, if I remember correctly, like it's just, it's just every iron and every fire you can imagine. So not only was this stressful enough, just try to build retail. Never mind. Let's just go out. Let's just build the gamut. Yeah. And see what happens. So, you mean, great insight. Very, very knowledgeable guy. Also, the 15-minute city. Yeah, that was... I. It's funny. When he was he, talking about that... It was like a that, throwaway comment. I feel was, like we need to have an yeah, episode on yeah, that. Yeah, when we were talking about it, both me and you looked at each other like, that's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also love, too, how he talked about office space and how you have to create all these amenities in office spaces now in order to get people from gyms to amenity rooms to all of that stuff. And I'll be honest with you, like being in this business as long as I have, we see all this stuff, but I've never actually looked at it from that perspective right. where he talks about, well, if we can offer a gym and that saves those employees of that employer from going to the gym and getting a membership, that adds value. And I never looked at it from that perspective. Well, add it, adding value and getting, yeah. getting people back to the office, right? There's actually that kind of, there, there's an incentive there that yeah. is really interesting and speaking of incentives, you mean I'm after this, I'm gonna go give Byron a call and find out what buildings are those beer tastings going on and how can William Wright Commercial get an office there? It, it, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, or a recording studio. You know what? I used to think a ping pong table was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've yeah. never had one. Yeah. But I, <laughs> in fact, I still kind of do think it's a big you know deal. We should, you know what we should do one time is is he talks about the the donut tasting contest or donut tasting they do. Yeah. You know what? He says he hasn't done it for a while. That's how we're going to get this man to show up here in person. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna order some fried chicken. We're going to have some gin and some donuts. Right. And we're going to sit down and we're going to record the whole thing and just watch it get sloppy. And that's how we're going to get a discount on the next charge project. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, so, Corey, what else do we have for the day? Uh, I should say this episode and all other Vancouver Commercial Real Estate podcast episodes, along with the Vancouver Real Estate podcast, all live at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Uh, so head over there if you're looking for summaries of these episodes, the back catalog. Uh, it's all at your fingertips. And, Corey, how can people find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright Commercial? They can visit our website. WilliamWright.ca anytime. Sign up for the latest and greatest news. They can contact us at our head office at 604-428-5255. That's what they're looking for, and we'll put you in touch with the best broker in the province for you. Or they can drop me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. Always love hearing about the show. Love talking real estate. And speaking of the you know, pre-sales and VIP pre-sales coming up, we've got another one coming up on Vancouver Island that we're trying to get permission from the developer that we can put through the, uh, the live wire. The live wire. So we're working on that for, all, for everyone. Fantastic. So anyway, have a great week, everyone. And we'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Subscribe today.